Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. Welcome, everybody, to How to Succeed in Product Management. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I'm the founding director of the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business. And we are trying to build a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. Part of that is because of Red and Sumeya, we are here every single week on Clubhouse and then downloadable on every major podcasting app, uh, sharing insights from some of the best product managers in the business And we started just loosely talking about whatever, kicking it around, uh, about what will help you succeed in product management. And now we're doing a little bit more focused each week. And today's topic is PRDs. Red, do you have a joke about what PRDs could stand for, but what they do not stand for? I think it's a food item, perhaps. (laughs) Yes. Pretty red tomatoes. Domatoes. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. No 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 laughter on domatoes cuz it's D. Thank you. Is there an emoji for laughter? <laughs> yeah. And also red, where are the emojis? I'm dying to find them. Yeah, these well, these are the important yeah. questions. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, we're going to take a tangent if you just hold down on your own face. Yes, for uh-huh. those who are listening to this cuz it is a podcast, we're talking about Clubhouse, but for uh, uh as far as the PRTs, Jeff, I have to say when you ask people to laugh at your jokes, that's <laughs> it's a bad sign. <laughs> yeah, it's a bad sign, but it's only because we're we're kindly muted the whole time. Otherwise, like, yeah, I'm just all I was really asking was to unmute, not to give me a fake laughter. Um, but I do have my own laugh track just at the ready, just in case. Anyway, that's not what people are here for. They're here to become better product managers, and we are here to help them do that. We're going to talk about writing PRDs, Arvind. Tell us a little bit about your journey in product. This is your second time on the show, I believe. And tell us what a PRD is and why it is important for all product managers, aspiring and current product managers, to just kick around best practices in, in writing PRDs. Hey, hey, Jeff. Hi, Red. Uh, nice to see you again. And uh, nice to talk to this group second time. Uh, my name is Arvind, and I'm a product manager in Microsoft Teams. You know, the first time I had so much fun on this uh, clubhouse that uh, I'm back again. So talking about uh, PRDs, I think uh, I, I was sort of thinking about uh, a, a slightly, uh, if, we, if we zoom out a little bit so that we'll understand what is a PRD, uh, I think uh, it makes sense to start with the business in general or company in general. If you think about a company like Microsoft, uh, you know, it's, it's really an abstract entity without the products that Microsoft has. So if you think of Microsoft, we have Windows, we have, uh, we have Teams, uh, we have Office, and all these are essentially products that are generating a value for our customers. So at a business level, Microsoft obviously wants to grow revenue, increase profit, reduce cost. But the way it can actually do it is through products. And when we think of products, there are three essential personas within a company that, that come to my mind, right? And of course, there are many other functions, but there is a product manager. Uh, there is uh, the EM or the dev team, and then there is design. So this is essentially the, the feature crew that is building a product. 
and of course there is hr finance all the other functions surrounding it but what tends to happen in 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 many companies is that these org- organizations somehow end up operating in a silo but to make sure that these three organizations are in sync we need something called a product requirement document which is uh, really sort of a source uh, of truth for what we are building and why we are building so essentially you know i i try to define prd as it, it's a document that helps uh, bring alignment uh, to various cross functional teams and essentially it's telling the dev team and the design team what we are building and why we are building all right thank you arvin for being here usha introduce yourself your, your journey in product and um anything to add to why prds are important I've been a product manager for over a decade now. I'm probably one of the very few people who started my career journey in product management as opposed to like a lot of people who who do different things and then eventually realize that's where they want to go. Um so I've been a product manager my entire career. Up until 2 weeks ago I was um, a principal product manager at Amazon and I worked on several AI ML products and now I'm the VP of product at Optum Labs which is um a division of the United Health Group so slightly different trajectory from Amazon to United Health Group uh, focusing more on the intersection between healthcare and tech Why are PRDs important? Um I'm sure people have heard like a lot of different variations right this MRD, BRD. At the end of the day, I feel like all of these documents are mechanisms to help your stakeholders and also your larger team right whether it is the science team that's helping you with building your machine learning models or it's your engineering team that's building out the various components or as Arvin mentioned the design team it is a a way for them to get aligned right it's a way for the larger team including the leadership right in certain instances to get aligned so everybody has a combined um alignment or or is on the same page in terms of what's the product why are you building it what is the customer problem that we're going to solve what is the potential opportunity that we can expect from this product right so a very high level market segment analysis also details on what the customer journey is right how is your customer going to use this product and then focus on the requirements and then get into like different personas how do different personas use these products and what are you expecting and finally it also serves as how do you define success right what does success mean for your product cuz your prds where you're mo- you're documenting what we call our success metrics or our kpis and it helps everybody get aligned on okay when can we say that the product is ready or how do we determine that we've achieved our minimum viable product and now it's ready to either going to beta or it's ready to take it to production all right thank you usha for being here appreciate you uh being a part of this conversation rajvi Tell us a little bit about your journey in product and then I'm going to switch gears on you and, and see if you could think on your feet but um what's one thing you've seen go wrong in writing or seeing somebody else write product requirement documents so tell us about your journey in product and what's one thing you've seen go wrong It's been a bit of a winding road um I started my career um in marketing and realized that after 2 or 3 years fresh out of college 
um, and, you know, doing a lot of segmenting and, and targeting as part of a, being a marketer, I realized that, you know, messaging wasn't enough. And I wanted to get closer to the customer um, by actually uh, being able to build uh, things that they would use or enhance things that are already out there to basically help their daily lives. So my realization came a couple of years into the role and that's when I decided to make a move and pivoted towards um, basically like being a self-taught product manager. And um, I've learned all of the skills along the way, all of the data analysis skills, all of the, you know, mock-ups and soft skills like driving alignment, all of that, um, you know, I've learned along the way. So it's, um, it's been, I think, around three or four years here at Walmart. And I would say that, you know, the number one thing that I've seen go wrong in PRDs is uh, over overemphasis on one part of the PRD rather than seeing it as a full document with multiple purposes. So what I've seen is, um, you know, typically someone who has a data background may spend, you know, half of the page just writing about analysis and completely omitting and are not giving enough attention to the problem statement. I've also seen uh, folks completely focus on the problem statement and not provide a solution. So I think one of the things that, you know, as part of being a product manager, you have to learn to um, know your strengths, know your blind spots and be able to balance that because it does show up in the material that you create as well as the alignment you're able to drive. Thank you, Rajvi. And as Rajvi said, there's lots of mistakes that could happen and we're going to help you prevent uh, making some mistakes that our, our panelists have seen. And we're going to help you implement some of the best practices that they've seen. And then we're going to open it up for some conversation where you could ask your own questions about writing good product requirement documents. Sumeya, I'm turning to you. Tell us about some mistakes you have seen in writing PRDs. I have to start the conversation by saying uh, throughout my career, I've seen different forms uh, similar to what everyone has said, uh, different forms of PRDs. And I have come to the conclusion that I'm not a fan of most of them. I am more of a fan of, for example, the Amazon memo. Uh, plus other things such as the backlog and other things that truly matter in keeping the team's momentum and actual result and the work and outcomes. Um, the document itself, once it's written, is useless except as a communication mechanism. And I completely understand, you know, within a large corporation that people get used to specific formats, specific types of information, and it's easier to feed it to them in templates that they're used to. Um, so I'm going to talk about one mistake that I think, I hope startups or early pre-market fit products don't make, and that's overemphasis on these documents and, you know, filling them out and getting them to completion rather than focusing truly on understanding what is the strategy, understanding what needs to get done, and then focusing on the backlog and the experimentation that needs to be done. I want to just introduce this concept of, we are talking a lot about PRDs today, but PRDs are not necessary for innovation or every company. Oh my gosh, did you hear what Sumeya did? She made a blanket statement that startups aren't doing this and should. Did I hear this right, Sumeya? 
Is there potentially going to be blood uh, in the water? No, today? I'm saying that pre-products market fit should not focus on a PRD. Uh, they should probably do a PRFAQ to use an Amazon document or yep. uh, in a memo and do analysis, yes, on the markets. But none of that truly matters except to the experiments they run to get to products market fit. I think, um, if I may... Um, I think a PRFEQ and a PRD serve two very different purposes, right? A PRFEQ is is what we call a working backwards document, right? Where you're focusing on what is the customer problem and what is your product going to solve? And then you're answering some of the key questions in terms of why is this the right thing to do? How does it fit into a larger business strategy? And yes, it's super helpful in terms of understanding what is the product and why we think this is the right thing to build, right? And some of the key components. But when you if actually are going to develop it, right, a lot of your other counterparts, like your engineering teams or your science teams or your data teams, particularly if you're working on ambiguous products that have AI ML, they are not as involved and they don't know the product as intimately as you do as a product manager, right? So it is a mechanism to think through all of the different components that go into building your product. And that's really, so I agree with you, Sumeya, in terms of it doesn't have to follow a template and it doesn't have to have a specific format. But the PRD, in my mind, is a double click from your PRFAQ, right? Because your PRFAQ is still at a 10,000 foot level. And your PRD then gets into the details on what is the actual exact thing that you're building? Uh, what type of data do we need? How do we annotate this data? What does the, the CX look like? How does the customer use it? And that's a way to remove some of that ambiguity, right? And so when your science counterparts or your engineering counterparts or your data counterparts are working on it, they know exactly what to do. Right. And the PRFQ still leaves room for interpretation, which can then cause issues down the road. And why wouldn't a backlog serve that? So your counterparts or your partners um, want more details. Why wouldn't you do that through the backlog? Yeah, I feel like a backlog is different people use the term backlog differently. Right. But a backlog is basically a list of all of your requirements. Right. And then your PRD, as we call it, is is what you're building now, right? And the backlog is what you want to build in V2. So you can start with the backlog and you can say in the backlog itself, I'm just going to determine what my MVP is, right? And that's what you use as a PRD. That's totally okay. The distinction that I was trying to make is a PRFAQ and what we call a backlog or a PRD serve different purposes. So I think a backlog, my definition of a backlog is a list of features or items or things, activities that people have to take action on. Um, a PRD, generally, yes, it's a collection of requirements, but it's static. It sits there. People then edit it and read it. And no one is checking off and saying, oh, we got this done or didn't get this done. Or here is what we learned from this experiment. And if they are they're actually doing so much more documentation work than is necessary. Now, again, I'm talking very specifically about pre-product market fit and mm -hmm. mostly startups. If we're talking about large companies where you have risk management as a factor and you have stakeholders who are actually not involved in actioning anything, but must be communicated to in very deliberate ways, then I totally understand. And in those situations, you don't actually have a constraint on resources. You can hire someone to just be working on the PRD. 
My point is when you have a constraint around resources, um, and a lot of startups and pre-products market fit products do, and you want agility and innovation, mm-hmm. PRD is going to hold you back. You should focus on, yes, defining some strategy, defining some experiments. Documents are not really the important part. The backlog is truly the source of truth because it goes from backlog to code or from backlog to messaging, from backlog to actual action and the thing you build. All right. I want to see if Arvind or Rajvi have any comments on the debate that's raging or the discussion. Arvind, you came off mute there. Do you have something to add or ask? Yeah, yeah. So so I think uh, as a diplomatic product manager, I agree with both of you. <laughs> I think it's important uh, to call out that asterisk that Sumaya just called out, the pre-revenue product or what the important to call out here. Depending on that, uh, yeah, the PM and the team can decide whether you need a full-fledged PRD or you can do a one-pager. Uh, you know, in, in Microsoft, we have this term called one-pager, which is a much more lighter version of a PRD where you're just defining what the what the idea is, what the problem that we are solving, and you know, high-level, what is the cost of uh, solving this is. And you could take that and socialize it with the team, and then uh, you could work off of backlog. That's possible. But I think in a big company like Microsoft, and if you're working on a matured product, it uh, a PRD aligns everyone and gets them grounded on this is the MVP that we're working on without uh, you know any scope creeps that we typically see that happen. What the backlog typically lacks is the context. Uh, for example, you know everything starts with uh, the objective, uh, which is typically aligned to your planning cycle OKR. Uh, so that maybe sometimes lost you know, get lost in uh, the backlog. Uh, but again, depends on uh, if, if you're really a small startup with like two people, a PRD is expensive. Writing a PRD takes a lot of time. Uh, that's the whole point of PRD, where you're trying to document every single job to be done, every user flow action, and what does that mean? So that is that is going to take a lot of time, not just for the product manager, but also for the designer to design it and for the developer to review it and all your stakeholders. So all of this is expensive. So it really depends on what stage of product life cycle you are in, what type of company you are in. And depending on that, the team can decide what is the right mechanism. The, the Uber point here is to document it and make sure that everybody is aligned on what is the MVP and what's the timeline. Rajvi, do you have anything to, to weigh in on this? All good points raised and discussed. The topic of this of this discussion is PRDs, right? So for for the sake of that, what I will say is, you know, PRDs are a way to accomplish your goal of building a product. And you need to know your situation, know your audience, know your stakeholders, and know, um, you know, how agile you need to be. And don't hold yourself to a structure for the sake of having the structure. Do what makes sense and just ensure that folks are bought in along the way. All right. So Red loves controversy, but I'm, I'm, I'm fearful we might lose some of the novices who are new to all of this and just trying to figure out how to be uh, a good product manager, uh, either to get that job or as they're starting. Can one of the four of you kind of lay out each of these things that you've talked about and and what you think they're good for and how they relate to each other? So we've heard PRDs, PRFAQs, backlog, and correct me if there's a a fourth one, but I'd love if you could somebody give context about when each of those three come in uh, to a product manager's role. I'm going to jump in here very quickly <laughs> uh, and say I came out of the gate uh, talking about how much I dislike PRDs. And I, I just wanted to say that I still feel like they have a place. Um, so I'm so sorry if I 
came across as too challenging. I think there is a lot of complacency in our world around that document specifically, and it's one of the most expensive things we do. But I do definitely think there is a place for it. So I'm going to talk very quickly about it um, and also the backlog, and then I'll leave the other ones for my guests here. Um, so the, the first one uh, specifically around PRD, I think the, the sections and the uses for it that were mentioned by everyone uh, is extremely valid. Um, when you have teams of more than 10 people, a PRD is extremely helpful, um, especially for a product that needs to stay around for a long time. It helps you memorize some of the decisions that have been made and some of the reasoning around them without having to go through backlog. And then uh, let's talk about backlog for a second, just my uh, definition of it. So a lot of people might associate it with the, with the tools where they manage it, everything from Jira to an Excel sheet to I think Azure has a version. There are, there are so many of these tools out in the market and uh, PMs or project managers use them to manage the flow of work, the plans of work. Um, and within the backlog, you know, the, these units of work can be managed through epics or outcomes. Uh, and then you break it down further into stories. And the best stories that I see, and, and the reason why I feel that this is sometimes a repetition of what's in a, in a PRD, uh, the, the best stories I see have three uh, important elements. Why are we doing this work? So the perspective from the user, the persona. Uh, two, the acceptance criteria around it. You might see it come up in you know, different formats. Gherkin is one, uh, given, etc. And then the last piece is, you know, as a user, I expect to see the following. And, and that's a little different than the acceptance criteria, as in acceptance is very feature specific, uh, but as a user, it gives you a narrative around the user expectation. So to me, a backlog, a robust backlog, has all those elements. Usha, anything to add to the, the distinction between these different documentations and, and how they relate to each other? Yeah, um, so typically these documents also kind of change, right? And there is, and to Samaya's point, the content can be overlapping, but it changes based on where you are, right? Where your product is in the product lifecycle journey. So what we call a PRFQ, and apologies if people didn't know what a PRFQ is, but it's press release, frequently asked questions, but that typically happens during what we call the ideation phase. So that's when you are coming up with a recommendation for a new product, right? New product, new version of an existing product, but it's a new idea. And the PRFQ is typically about six pages where the first one and a half to two pages are focused on the press release where you're writing, you're actually writing a press release as to when you launch this product, how do you talk about it with customers, right? And then rest of it is what we call the FAQs, which are your frequently asked questions. It's a way, it's a mechanism to present this to key stakeholders, whether it's leadership or it's, you know, the larger team up to to explain what your product is, right? Talk about what it what problems this product is going to solve and how it's going to help the customer. And then kind of talk about why now, right? Like who's your customer? What's the product? 
why do you think it's the right opportunity to launch this product now? And then there's a couple of other questions, but it helps you get alignment from leadership, right? It's also a mechanism that people use to get funding for their product. That's typically what, a, and, and it also has like a very high level performer PNL. So you kind of directionally demonstrate to leadership how you think this product is going to perform. It's also a tool that you can help drive some of your go-to-market decisions, right? So that's where your peer FAQ is. Your peer FAQ starts, typically starts in the ideation phase. And once you, you know you've you've evangelized your idea, you've socialized it, you've gotten alignment, you've gotten the necessary team to go ahead and build your product, that's when we get into the PRD where you're now talking to a different type of audience, right? You're talking to the the rest of your team that is going to help you build this product. And that's where you want to get, you want to tease out some of the lower level details where you talk about what type of functional requirements, how does setup work, right? If, if it's a product where setup's required or if there is any type of features, how exactly do each of these features work? What's the persona that this this caters to, right? Is it is it a vice president? Is it a plant manager? Is it an operator, for example? I'm just using a couple of different personas. Um, then you then this is also where you would document your KPIs, right? Your metrics and what Sumeya called the acceptance criteria, and also the priority. What's the priority of the features? What do we need to do to out, what is the absolute required and You'll often hear the terms P0, P1, P2, but P0 basically means it's an it's a must-have, right? This is critical to the launch of your product. And to Sumeya's point, PRDs are typically written when you're launching the first iteration of your product, and then everything else goes into your backlog, right? Your backlog has a lot of details um, at a much lower level than even your functional requirements. And then you're managing this backlog on a regular basis to either help with prioritization or to be able to then say, we to move things around to constantly keep adding new features that you eventually want to launch in a future iteration of the product. We're going to get to audience questions in a moment. First, I got to give a plug while people are still paying active attention and hanging on the edge of their seat for whether there's going to be more controversy or not. We have at the the University of Washington, we have the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator, which is a program designed for individuals who are committed to making product management their next career move, have a demonstrated record of championing inclusion, and are actively pursuing a full-time product management role after having already studied product management. We have this free program with the goal of broadening access to economic opportunity, empowering professionals from historically marginalized communities to land their first PM role. We uh, offer knowledge. We offer a community, a family, and uh, connections uh, and opportunity in hopes that uh, we could be a part of your journey uh, into product management. The applications, we have a small window, August 7th to August 10th. Uh, That's the window to apply. So please Google the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator and check that out August 7th to August 10th, a limited window to apply. And uh, we hope that you'll apply to be a part of the family. Um, So now I want to just real quick take turns of giving one best practice that you've seen in writing a good PRD, uh, Product Requirement Documents. So uh, I'll, we'll go in order of appearance here. So Arvind, uh, one uh, best practice that you would recommend our listeners take when it comes to writing PRDs? 
Yeah, I think uh, the one that uh, really comes to my mind is version controlling. Uh, because in today's world, you know, documents get shared and passed along and uh, it comes with the pros and cons. Anybody can jump into that uh, document and make changes. PRD essentially is a living document. We do want the stakeholders to come in and provide comments. But as a PM, I think it's super important to also lock down your MVP along with the timelines. So if you keep continue to have scope creeps, that needs to be clearly documented because that's going to impact all the engineering costs and uh, potentially delay your launch. So version controlling would be my uh, number one um, ask. Usha? Um, I agree with version control. The other one that I think is very important is when you write your requirements, focus on the persona because a end user versus a business user versus a product manager, because your requirements document everything, right? They talk about what internal metrics you care about, what external metrics you care about, who's using the data, how they're using the data. It's very helpful when you write the, the, the requirement from a persona's perspective. So as X, this is what I expect, so I can do this. And uh, Rajvi? I would say that really uh, including a clear problem statement um, which speaks to the personas and speaks to the scenario or opportunity is crucial. Um, of course, everyone gets excited to build something, but understanding why and and why this specifically is is crucial. All right. Uh, so now, Red, it's your turn to decide if you want to hear more best practices uh, from each of them uh, or if you want to do your thing uh, where you invite the people up on stage. But Red... Are you red, E, for the spotlight? <laughs> oh, I love you, Jeff. I love you. <laughs> Worded that way, actually, you hate the spotlight. You just love putting the spotlight on people who have a voice to share. But are you ready to be in charge here? Of course. Of course. And when they say in charge, well, it's not my voice that matters. It's you. Those of you out there who are new to the product management industry, or better yet, you're not new, but you learned something, or better yet, you have something that you'd like to ask us on stage or in the chat. So if you're new to this conversation and you're not listening to this as a podcast, that means you're live here today. Just look at the chat bubble on the bottom left. There's a bunch of people in there making conversation, asking questions. And also you can raise your hand. If you have something that you'd like to ask to the people on stage, please, this is your chance to get up there. If you're more shy, you can find me in Slack um, if you're new to the Slack channel, just uh, find me on Twitter or LinkedIn and reach out. And uh, as a heads up, Jeff, I always like to make sure everyone knows and is aware um, this is a podcast, right? This is a live recorded show. So if you are uncomfortable being recorded, I will not refer to your last name. If you're going to ask a question, I'll just call it out as a first name. And if you are someone who's not on the live show, well, then it's your lucky day because you could just go ahead and DM any one of us and say, hey, I listened to your show. You're amazing. Add a little flattery. It helps. And ask your question. But if you're a salesperson, don't do that. Don't ask us a question and then try to sell us. We're here to help make sure it's easy to get into the product management industry. And unless you're switching careers from sales to product, I would recommend not taking advantage of this. So with that in mind, Jeff, did I miss anything? Any disclaimers? Any more children I need to hug and babies I need to kiss? before we start our q and I'm doing a callback for our listeners, Raul there, uh, who's been here from day one, and Safat. Uh, you didn't mention anything about dentists, as far as I heard, at least. Um, <laughs> so. 
Uh, are, are dentists welcome? Can they ask questions this time? Are we allowing that, please? Uh, if this dentist has an, a career interest in becoming a product manager, then absolutely. In fact, Excellent. if this dentist has written a PR FAQ, then come on up and you can drill my teeth live <laughs> and on stage. So, That's quite the promise. With that in mind, sound effects involved. Uh, Larry, I see your hand is raised. I'm going to finally call you up on stage uh, as well. Uh, I see some questions. This is more generalized, but I, I have to say, there is no question. We need to make sure everyone feels heard. Uh, Sakura asks, do you need a degree to become a PM? I think that's the question, at least as it re represents it. Given all the uh, acronyms that we discussed today, I feel like I might need a degree in acronyms. But uh, what do you think? Do you need a degree to get into the product management space? And uh, you know what? Arvind, let's start with you. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, uh, this is uh, one of the top questions we often get. And uh, there is, you know, no uh, black and white answer for this because it, you know, like every other product management question, it depends. Uh, it, there are different types of product management roles. For example, there are technical PMs. Uh, for that, I think uh, it typically helps to have some sort of a technical background uh, so that you can understand the language that the developers are speaking, that the designers are speaking. There are other types of PM roles which are more business-centric, like growth PM, uh, where, you know, if you have some sort of a business understanding, you could learn, pick up a few things, and then uh, be a great growth PM. So, uh, it, you know, depends on uh, uh, what product you are choosing. Think about your background first, and think about what are the unique skills that you're bringing to the table. And um, from there, I would I would say, you know, think about the companies. You know, you have startup world, you have you have the big tech, you have the enterprise uh, so, so think about those in sort of a Venn diagram and see where you fit. And uh, there, as I mentioned, you know, the different types of PM, there are some that are technical, some that are non-technical. So uh, it, it really depends. Uh, but then definitely there is room for everyone to grow and become a PM. So even if you don't have uh, the required experience today, you can you can take up projects in your current role and you can you can build that PM muscle. Uh, wherein, you know, given six months or one year, you will get to a point where you feel confident to apply for these roles. And, you know, I'm sure University of Washington has a bunch of things. And uh, Jeff and Red, you guys can recommend a bunch of, uh, you know, online content as well that anyone can go through and build this mental muscle of how a PM thinks. Oh, I love that. I love that. So the long answer, though, is there is there's not so much a, a category of like, yes, you need to go to dentist school to be a dentist. You need to go to PM school to be a PM. There's more of just an attribute or checklist, as, as you referred to. Um, or at least, hopefully, I'm not paraphrasing in the wrong way. But Rajvi, what's, what are your thoughts on this one? Um, there is typically an undergrad degree of some sort required um, just to qualify for certain roles, especially at larger companies. But after that, it is all a combination of interest, of um, skill and muscle development, and inching yourselves towards the product role. So for myself, I started off in marketing and I took more and more technical projects within that scope in order to familiarize myself with concepts and, and work on a different set of problems than what, what I had initially joined to do. So um, I think part of it is, is um, you know, being, being at the right place at the right time, but you know, making sure you invest in understanding um, concepts and being able to communicate with engineers and your technical partners is as crucial as your business partners. So there's a ton of online material available to assist with that. I don't think a formal degree is required, 
but typically to get your foot in the door, an undergrad degree is is usually required. Okay. Well, I have to say we have someone on the stage right now who might be a proof point to this. Larry, welcome to the stage. I also know that you might have some previous knowledge of his existence. So without bias or anything to Larry, you mentioned in our chat uh, that, you know what? You got a legal studies undergrad. So congratulations. You checked the box of undergrad, but how did you get into PM? And then we got someone else who jumped on the stage after you. So Larry, the mic is first yours. Awesome. Uh, thanks, Ryder. Lovely to see you guys. To be quite honest, you saw me raise my hand, but that was at the beginning of the show for me to let you know that Rajri's on. So, uh, but I'll take the spotlight anyways. But, um, you know, to, to piggyback off that, I think to, to Rajri's point, right? Like Rajri is a colleague of mine. I think it's probably Bond. And it's, you know, we, we both come from uh, not necessarily technical degrees. And yeah, we both, you know, very successful building technical, non-technical products, et cetera. And so I can definitely echo in the sense of that, like, it's nice to have a degree to get into the door, right? But, um, you know, you can learn a lot of things on the fly, right? Like, there's a lot of young folks, you know, that we, I've met at the product management center that just got their foot in the door and took off from there. And one thing that maybe it's not as common anymore, I haven't seen where it be with the cuts, is like, you know, associate product manager roles. So that's oftentimes the easiest way. And oftentimes, you know, the requirements for a degree aren't as stringent. Right. And so you can always do like maybe some certificate programs, but oftentimes it's, it's, it's really what you know. And so you can always use the likes of Coursera, edX, something I do frequently to just complement my knowledge. Cause at the end of the day, I, I'm working on, you know, building out artificial intelligence, machine learning models. And yet I've never done any of those things. And yet I'm still, still being like relatively successful. Cause at the end of the day, it's just being a product manager, it's just following, not necessarily the same framework, but if you kind of, perfect that you can really become a product manager in any role, any capacity, technical or non-technical, because those, a lot of those skills you can pick up with those soft skills. And the last session I did here was kind of emphasis on the soft skills. Those are much tougher to pick up. So I would worry less about, you know, your pedigree more just about kind of how you position, especially how you sell it. Right. Like a lot of, a lot, like I just literally interviewed somebody who was a chef for six years and y'all can't imagine how well that translates to analytics because then they get to run a team and do things like that. And that was one of the most interesting experiences where maybe the person is not necessarily like a traditional background yet a perfect fit for the role just because of, you know, there's so many transferable skills that go into product that, you know, maybe overlooked sometimes or that are not emphasized enough in my opinion. Well, thank you, Larry, for the insights. And I think you you helped us bring the conversation back 180 degrees. And I'll tell you why. You mentioned soft skills. And I think the PRFAQ is really, right now, as far as we understand it, is a very hard and defined process. And someone asked in the audience, and uh, Raul, thank you for always coming back to the show and being amazing. But the question really is, like, I get the soft skills help in your role, but what happens if the PRFAQ is out there? <laughs> Basically, how much soft skills is going to get you out of the, out of this one if you want to make a change? So to reflect the question for everybody, is it too late to be creative or think outside the box to add new features once a product PRD is done and approved by the leadership team? So basically, once it's locked in, what do we do now if we need to change it or modify it? How does that work? Uh, for this one, Usha, haven't heard from you in a while. Would love to give you an opportunity to help us face this one head on. And again, yeah, Raul, thank you for the question. Absolutely. Um, as Arvin mentioned, uh, the answer is it depends. 
nothing's ever locked and not editable, right? But the reason we say, hey, this is our scope, this is what we've defined, is so teams can continue to make progress and you know exactly what you're building and, and you know, like week over week, you're iterating on a set of uh, features that everybody is familiar with. But if you do come up with a new requirement or a new feature that you think is fundamental to launching a successful MVP, right, then it's all about trade-offs, right? If you put this feature in, what else do you want to take out if you want to keep the same timelines? Or do we add this feature but then push the launch date out so that teams have more time to develop this feature, right? You'll kind of think through, you You have to think through the pros and cons uh, of adding this feature. What's the benefit that, how is it going to impact your overall product? What is the benefit that the customer is going to get with this feature? And can you substitute this for something else? So you can either maintain similar timelines or you, or do we then just add it to the product and just push our delivery date out, right? So it's a discussion and it's a trade-off conversation. Well, I have to say you have a It Depends buddy, uh, Rajvi, also weighing in in the <laughs> chat. Uh, I'm curious to see, Rajvi, if there's anything that in your response was not yet addressed that you could share with the class. I think actually a lot has been covered. I think ideas naturally come as part of an agile product development process. You may be uh, you know, two weeks into development and suddenly, you know, something clicks and, you know, you may get results of some some test or you may get some sort of new piece of information which, um, you know, strikes you or, you know, compels you to want to add a new feature. I think it's, it's really important to ensure that's balanced with, um, you know, impact and understanding and being able to measure, like, what exactly will this help in, in terms of like, will it save time? What are these sort of metrics associated with it, as well as effort? So let's say it's creative, but it's a, it's a pretty small lift from an engineering perspective. Something like that, you might be able to slip in. But if it's larger and, and more involved, then, you know, it, it probably makes the most sense to take it back, deconstruct it, and, um, uh, you know, maybe maybe put it in the backlog for your next version. Very helpful. Very helpful. Thank you so much. And now I, I want to be sensitive to additional questions and hand raisers out there. If you have PRD, PRFAQ, or in general questions about how to get into product management, we have the stage wide open. Nimish, I saw you came up on the stage earlier. You got a bright smile and you look really happy to either. The stage is yours. Thank you. Lovely discussion uh, about PRDs. So a uh, lot of the discussion today was more about a PRD based on when it's an ideation phase, but for an early PM who is just getting into the field, I've seen more than often you adapt a existing feature, say in a B2B product or something like that. So I would love, love to hear from the panel, what are their learnings when you are adapting to an existing PRD and you have your own thoughts in terms of a feature going in one particular way? So any learnings from uh, your end or pitfalls that as an early career professional can look out for? So this one's wide open. Who's going to unmute first? It's Sumeya in the right field from all downtown. Let's go, Sumeya. <laughs> well, I mean, B2B is my, uh, is my jam. And um, I totally understand the situation. A lot of the PMs I work with, um, they're taking over 
platforms and software that has been around for a while. It, it's lovely and it's not with its tech debt and all kinds of things. A lot of decisions have already been made around the strategy. And yet there is an opportunity um, for things to also change. Uh, Nimesh, just so I can clarify, uh, is your question about the kinds of information that's shared in the PRD you'd like to do something different? Or uh, is it about prioritization of features? Give me the, the challenge. Sure. So mainly my idea about this question is you coming onto a new role. And if you have any ideas uh, that you want to implement, so how would you pitch uh, with respect to that prioritization? Because PRD will uh, in line, which is already existing, would uh, be in line with the company's visions and goals. So how would you as come into yeah. the picture? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and my answer here is going to apply to anything that a PM does, uh, whether it's the PRD or the backlog or strategy document or a memo or whatever. Um, I think as PMs, we're learning. Our software is evolving. There is a lot that that's changing. Uh, and so at any one time, whether it's, let's say, the specifics of the feature or the prioritization of it can change based on data based on feedback, based on, especially in the B2B world, we get a lot of feedback from our customers. You know, they try something that solves one pain, they find a workaround with it, and then the next feature you are planning to do, they're like, eh, we don't really want that, but we want this other thing. And they're very vocal about that. And so you have data basically behind you to support you in what you want to do. I think regardless of the scenario, forget about the PRD. The PRD is really a historical document. At the moment you write it, it's outdated. What matters is what you're hearing from your customer or the data you're getting today, um, which itself a lot of times is lagging but can provide you for uh, with insights that you can take action on. So what I would recommend is that you focus more on the case you're building or uh, what is important about this insight you gathered that leads you to think this change needs to happen and make the case for it. And then writing or updating the PRD is just one of the tools to get that alignment and not necessarily the, you know, the outcome that you're looking for. The, the PRD is not the outcome. It's just a tool. Wow. I would say thank you and Namish for coming up on stage for the question. Does anyone else have anything they'd like to add to that before we go to closing thoughts? Arvind. Yeah, just one uh, small thing I will add is, Namish, so uh, depending on how your company does product lifecycle planning, that might be another window. So as a new PM, uh, if you have some new ideas, you know, as Somaya mentioned, you know, try to document it in a very simple format, like a one pager or a memo, back it up with a lot of data, and I'm sure PM teams will appreciate a lot as a new PM if you bring in that new insight. But also be aware of what are the windows in your company where you can present this idea and get feedback. Uh, like, you know, in a lot of companies, there is we have quarterly planning. Sometimes there is semester planning. Uh, so be aware of these milestones and then be ready with two or three ideas. Socialize it with, you know, some your peer PMs. Socialize it, uh, it, it with some customers. And then, uh, you know, that's your forum. Like, that's your forum to basically present these ideas and have them prioritized. Uh, make sure you you capture, like, what is the pain point you're solving? And at a very high level, what does it mean in terms of, uh, 
yeah, engineering cost, right? Very, very high level. So that's your starting point. All right, Red, I think it's my turn. To... No, I don't want you to have a turn, Jeff. It's, it's all so about sad. me. <laughs> You're, it's all about you, Red. We, you've proven uh, that time and time again. That's all you care about is you, you, you. You know, I'm going to go write a PR <laughs> FAQ about me. I'll be back no in laughter, about 30. Nothing. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Now, I kid. Red has been one of the most, uh, Red and Sumeya have been uh, selfless individuals, uh, amazingly uh, generous with their time and insight. And uh, we're grateful to have uh, the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington is grateful to have Red and Sumeya uh, here every single week dedicated to making uh, product management more diverse, inclusive, and uh, skilled. And they, they are committed to you. And I'm grateful that they're here. And I'm grateful that we had three fantastic guests today talking about writing good PRDs and actually debating whether PRDs are a waste of time, uh, which uh, I think is uh, probably the most controversy that we've ever had on this show. Uh, so I want to give time for concluding thoughts. Uh, please message me if you uh, are urgent that you need to close out here. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to start with Raji. If you could please uh, tell us uh, concluding thoughts and in that one do and one don't as it relates to writing good PRDs. Sure. Um, I'll start off with with one that I found to be very close to my heart is is iterate. Keep going. Keep writing. It is a living document and you should treat it as such. Expect feedback, expect questions and, and welcome them. So um, iteration is, is a do. Um, in terms of a don't, I would say don't overemphasize one, one section or one, one area. Ensure that the document is balanced and covers all of the major points, um, customer experience, data, the why, the how, um, you know, personas. Ensure all of that is, is captured well. Usha, concluding thoughts and one do, one don't. Yeah, uh, concluding thoughts. Uh, at the end of the day, a PRD is a mechanism to um, make sure that the rest of the team is aligned and everybody is kind of working towards a common goal, right? So it doesn't have to follow a set format or a set template, or you don't have to write it a certain way just for the sake of writing it. It's a artifact. I'll just call it that because it doesn't always have to be a Word document. It could even be a tool that uh, allows you to communicate your low, lower level requirements to the rest of your team. In terms of do, I would say, give yourself enough time when you're putting your PRD together. Uh, don't underestimate how much time this would take. Just like a developer needs their quiet time to code, to make sure their code functions, you as a product manager need enough time to think through how your product works and think through all of your different use cases to then put into the doc. I will say don't get, and I think Raj, we talked about this too, but you will get a lot of feedback and you will get a lot of questions. That is just a natural uh, part of you reviewing your PRD. And so don't get too frustrated when you have to make multiple iterations or you get a lot of questions that you don't have answers to. It's okay to not know everything. Go back, think about it or do your research and then come back with the answer. All right, Usha, thank you so much for being here today. And Arvind, we're going to get to you in just a moment, but I want to give Sumeya a chance because I think you're going to you're going to stay on the topic, and I think Sumeya is going to drop some explosions here with uh, some drama. 
Uh, so, Sumeya, what are your concluding thoughts? Uh, kind of wrap up uh, this controversy that you stirred up a little bit and help people understand how this fits into what they're doing in writing PRDs. <laughs> well, I have two, two closing thoughts. Uh, one for especially starting PMs. If you're starting at a company and you're wondering about how to get your first PRD done, ask for examples of great PRDs, of products that have succeeded, that people love. Get those examples, look at them, learn from them, see what the PMs before you have thought about and the the questions they thought to answer and the points they brought up. So you know, that's something I think that can be helpful, help you beyond just asking your manager about what they think you should include, you should actually look at real examples. So that's one. The second one, 80% of the people the PRD is intended for will not read it. So think about that. Write it for the the 20%, of course, especially in large companies. There's that one executive who actually will go through it line by line and leave you comments. Um, But the 80% are the ones through the life of your project or the the product work are going to probably become problematic if they're not aligned around the details. So do what you need to do, whether it's one-on-one conversations, uh, PowerPoints, Miro boards, whatever you need to do basically to, to get the point across and to achieve that alignment. And then my last point is to more experienced PMs. I beg you, find a way to not have to do a PRD. (laughs) There are people who have been able to get that through in their companies. Uh, I think the way it exists right now at the majority of companies is just so wasteful uh, and not needed for most of the great products out there. Thank you so much, uh, Sumeya. Appreciate their valuable insights every week. And now Arvind, two-time guest here on How to Succeed in Product Management. Close it out. What are your concluding thoughts uh, and one do and one don't as it relates to writing good PRDs? Yeah, I think uh, in addition to like everything that has been said, uh, I think the, the Uber takeaway for new PMs and PMs in general is uh, writing is a superpower that I think all of us have to embrace. This is something that I'm also trying to develop on my own after 15 years of being in product management. Because as a PM, one of our core jobs is to document, document, and document. This is related to one of the do's that I have, which is uh, don't underestimate uh, the importance of why we are building something and documenting that. Because that is this is the artifact that, you know, when an, another PM comes a year from now, they would have the context of, okay, what was the thinking uh, back then, what was the business objective and why did we decide to build a certain feature so, some way? Uh, so uh, that will be like uh, one of my major uh, ad- advices to new PMs is try to write, try to read, uh, try to read some uh, some PRDs at Somaya mentioned in, within your company. Try to just read in general and write a lot. Uh, in terms of uh, don't, uh, I would say you don't have to necessarily try to use a lot of flowery language and a lot of prescriptive language in your in your documentation. Uh, in fact, writing in a simple way is much more harder than writing it in, in a complicated way. Uh, just for example, you know, if, if, if I have to build like a chatbot, think of the outcomes for the customer, right? So the, for the customer, you're trying to solve the problem of answering the question in time rather than trying to tell the developer what exactly that technical component of chatbot is. 
So think at that level, try to keep it simple and uh, it comes with practice. So uh, do focus on that. And uh, thanks again, uh, uh, Jeff, Red, uh, Sumeya, Usha, Raju. It was fantastic uh, sharing the stage with you. Uh, this is always a great community. So looking forward to staying in touch. Excellent. Thank you, Rajvi. Thank you, Usha. Thank you, Arvind. Uh, and again, of course, thank you, Samaya and Red. This is uh, what this is all about, is uh, five people uh, giving their valuable time trying to help anybody who's interested in product management kind of learn from their experience and from their uh, trials and tribulations. And so the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington, we are empowering people from all over the country, all over the world uh, to succeed in product management. We are here every single week on Clubhouse, uh, having interactive discussions and putting them out on the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast available on every major podcasting platform. And our big thing is the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator, which applications open next week. So if you are uh, authorized to work here in the United States, a professional with three plus years of experience committed to making product management your next career move, uh, we have just such an amazing family of mentors and uh, people committed to the success of uh, seeing a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. So I encourage you to check out the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator and apply. And if you are already a product manager like Arvind, Usha, Sumeya, and Rajvi, and you want to give back, uh, I hope that you will uh, check out that same website and volunteer. Either volunteer to be here on this podcast, or we need uh, more and more people to do mock interviews uh, to prepare our fellows for success in the interview process. Just stay involved, stay connected, and uh, whether you do it through the Product Management Center or elsewhere, I hope you'll follow the lead here from our panelists and uh, do your best uh, to share your knowledge and make the world a little bit better. Uh, thank you, everybody, for being here, and we will see you next week.